Amen. Um, you know, I believe in my in my family we 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 talk about honor a lot, and I believe in giving honor where honor is due. And so, as you go back, I want you to clap for this worship team who is literally late. No, you can do better than that. You better get on your feet, stand up. I'm talking about giving honor where honor is due. We cheer enthusiastically. We don't cheer half-heartedly. Thank you, babe. We're grateful for you guys. I do want that. Thank you. He's cute. All right. I want to tell you, because people have been asking what this book's about, um, if you like what I have to say and you're like, man, I think that her perspective on life is really helpful. Or if you went to my husband's session, who went to my husband's session? Yeah. And you liked what you heard. This book basically takes everything that we've learned and that we've implemented in our life over the last 20 years and puts it in a book. And um, it costs three Starbucks drinks. Just saying. All right. Gosh, I've loved being with you guys. You guys are the best. I'm telling you, I'm so excited. I can't wait to go home and talk to my Salt Central people and tell them about Southeast. I mean, it's just, it's gonna be great. It's gonna be great. Are you, are you excited? Has God done something in your life this week? Are you walking away with something helpful to apply this semester? Yeah? Okay, good. All right, so this week, what we've been talking about is story, right? So we've been talking about the power of story in our lives and how our subjective realities are created by the stories that we tell ourselves about ourselves and about others. And those stories come from somewhere. Those stories come from social media. Those stories come from our families. Those stories come from our families of choice. Those stories come from our friends. Those stories come from our professors. Those stories come from somewhere. And that's why God gave us an entire book of stories. Stories that if we will read them and absorb them and memorize them and remember them, they will begin to shift the very way that we see every single thing in our lives. These stories have such an incredible power because they can change our perspective. They can change our perspective. And, and so that's what we've been talking about. And we talked about on the very first night how we have to walk away from the winds of our life, right? Those wounds that have created stories that gave us a name and an excuse and a habit that's become our life. And we have to walk away from the winds of our life into the win that Jesus Christ has already paid for and into the winds of our future, because there is a future for each of you here. There is a obstacle for each of you here. There is an opportunity for each of you here. There is a harvest for each and every one of us. But if we hold on to what happened yesterday, if we hold on to that old name, right, that old excuse, that old habit, it'll keep us from walking into the new. We talked about what it was to live unafraid and unashamed. 
what it would look like for you if you lived on your campus in your home as a missionary, unafraid and unashamed. We, we talked about stepping into the role of innkeeper in God's story. We talked about how being an innkeeper requires us to practice radical hospitality, right? And so tonight, we're going to kind of continue that journey. If you don't already know, I'm a nerd. Like, just hardcore. I, let me, you know, don't tell very many people this, but I'm like a real nerd. I actually am a Trekkie. Like, I'm that level of nerd. That's like 12th degree of nerd, right? Like, I, I am. It's just one of those things. I'm not a Star Wars person. I'm a Star Trek person. If you know, you know, right? It's just one of those things. I am a nerd. And because I'm a nerd, how many of you do this? Just, just show of hands in just a second. You find yourself researching obscure things on the Internet. Just obscure things. And you're like, what in the world's going on? Four hours later, I have figured out what is going on with the Patagonia pear apocalypse, you know? And you're like, nobody cares about this. Nobody knows. Well, I, I have been studying something lately. And let me tell you about what I've been studying. I've been studying identity. Because I know that story is the foundation of identity. In fact, you can see this even in child development. I have a, a, I've had many children, but, um, but I currently have a 17-month-old, a 3-year-old, right? A 6-year-old, a 9-year-old, and an 11-year-old. And they organize their lives through story from the time they are very, very small. They don't understand even the concept of time, and yet they still organize their lives through the concept of story. Why? Because story becomes your identity, you can tell a lot about how a person thinks about themselves, what's important to them, by the way they tell their story. And I've been so fortunate because I've gotten to hear parts of so many of your stories this week. And I just want to say thank you for sharing your story with me. But watch and listen to the way that you tell your story. Because every time you tell and retell your story, you are shaping it, and it is shaping you. This is the thing about identity, is that identities can be disrupted. No, seriously. Identities can be disrupted. Researchers are finding that certain events in life completely can disrupt your identity and can force you into a period of relearning and reassigning and reintegrating meaning into your life. It can be really good things like, like parenthood. Having a child, it can be getting a new job, it can be graduating from college, it can be going to college, it can be moving to the mission field, taking an internship, right? It can be good things, it can be horrible things. It can be things like losing someone who was very, very close to you. It can be tragedies that you experience. It can happen, usually it happens on like an individual or a family level, but sometimes it can happen on a whole community-wide level, like with a hurricane. 
And what researchers are finding is that everything from your health to your longevity of life to your enjoyment of life is tied into your ability to reintegrate your identity after disruption. Basically, you have to create a new narrative of meaning for yourself, a new story. And here we are as Christ followers, and we have the greatest story ever told. The only story that is big enough to go through every kind of disruption and reintegrate every person, not just who's in this room, but across time, across history, across cultures, forever. But how do we harness the power of that story in the midst of our own disruption. Because look, I'm sitting in the room full of people who are either just finishing in the middle of or on their way to a disruption. Because you're college students. The freshmen are like, I'm in the middle of a disruption, right? Like the sophomores and juniors, y'all can see it coming, right? You're either just finishing one in the middle or you're on your way. And so sometimes we can feel like, well, why do I feel so disoriented? It's natural. It's literally the way that you were created. You were created to have to reintegrate your story with his over and over and over and over and over again. That's why that identity issue never, ever, ever, ever goes away. And so we see in the Bible a lot of stories of people going through major events that causes, you know, this massive identity disruption, and then they have to relearn meaning and reintegrate themselves into God's story. Some do it better than others. But in Acts chapter 1 and 2, we see some people who are in the middle of a massive identity disruption. Jesus' disciples have walked with him for three years. Then they have gone through the massively traumatic event of watching the guy who is hope, who is love, who is peace, who is joy, who they have hung all of their hopes on, get taken by their oppressor, betrayed by their religious leaders, crucified in the most cruel and inhumane way possible, and then buried in a borrowed tomb. And then all of a sudden, he's resurrected. And they're like, this is great, but also what's going on? And that's where we find them in Acts chapter 1. Can we read it together? It says, starting in verse 4, once when he was eating with them, I told you, Jesus is always at dinner. He commanded them, do not leave Jerusalem until the Father sends you the gift he promised. As I told you before, John baptized with water, 
but in just a few days, you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. So when the apostles were with Jesus, they kept asking him, Lord, has the time come for you to free Israel and restore our kingdom? He replied, the Father alone has the authority to set those dates and times, and they are not for you to know, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you, and you will be my witnesses throughout Jerusalem, throughout Judea, in Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. Do you see what is happening here? Jesus has died and come back to life without anyone calling him out of a grave. This is not a Lazarus situation. This is something completely unique that has not happened in all of human history. Jesus has resurrected himself through the power that is inside of him. And now he is appearing to his disciples by walking through walls like Star Trek. I got that in. I feel very proud of myself right now. But the disciples are still stuck in their story. Jesus tells them, hey, I'm going to send my Holy Spirit to you when you go wait in Jerusalem. And do you know what they ask? When are you going to fulfill the terms of the character that we have written for you, Jesus? Because this was all great. It was a nice aside. You'll probably have more credibility now that you've resurrected yourself. But what we would like to know is, has the time come for you to free Israel? Talking about us, right? Has the time come for you to free us and to restore our kingdom? After all that, after three years of miracles, signs and wonders, he raised somebody else, then he raised himself. Now he's appearing to us all over the place. And he tells them the next part of the movie. Hey, look, you're going to go and wait, and I'm going to send the Holy Spirit and send power to you. And they say, wrong movie, our movie Next script part, if you'll just look at page number 928, it says you're going to free us and restore our kingdom. And Jesus is so sweet. He doesn't even tell them no. He just says, you know, I don't know when that's going to happen exactly. Father God has all of those times. And, but going back to my script, He says, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. Because see, this isn't about restoring your kingdom. This is about building mine. I just want to understand these disciples hung out with Jesus for three years, and yet 
we don't see the radical hospitality of the church start happening till after Pentecost. We don't see them living unafraid and unashamed until after Pentecost. We don't see them taking on this identity of caring for all those who are broken and hurting, what I call the innkeeper identity. We don't see them being the radical witnesses that literally turn the world upside down until after Pentecost. So we better figure out what changed, what happened, what happened to change their story, to cause them to reintegrate into his story. And I think it happened at Pentecost. So let's keep reading. Okay. Chapter 2, on the day of Pentecost, all the believers were meeting together in one place. Suddenly there was a sound from heaven like the roaring of a mighty windstorm, and it filled the house where they were sitting. Then what looked like flames or tongues of fire appeared and settled on each of them, and everyone present was filled with the Holy Spirit and began speaking in other languages as the Holy Spirit gave them this ability." At that time, there were devout Jews from every nation living in Jerusalem. When they heard the loud noise, everybody came running. And they were bewildered to hear their own languages being spoken by the believers. They were amazed. How can this be, they exclaimed. These people are all from Galilee. And yet we hear them speaking in our own native languages. Okay, after this. Peter gets up and preaches an amazing sermon. 5,000 people are added to the three. 3,000 people. You need a fact checker on the front row called a husband if you are preaching. Anyway, so 3,000 people get added to their number like that day. It's crazy. And then it says that they begin to practice this radical hospitality. And the entire rest of the book of Acts is about them living this completely different narrative where now they're not worried about the restoration of Israel. Now they are all about building God's kingdom. There is a power in Pentecost that causes people to begin to change the world. And we know this is true because the same thing happened about a hundred years ago. And there were some foolish people in the mountains of Arkansas who got together and they said we can change the world when everybody knew they couldn't and to this day there are people around the world who know Jesus and are Pentecostal because of some people who were foolish enough to believe that the promises of this book and the power of the Holy Spirit was enough to change the world. just realized some of you may not know who the people in Arkansas were. That was the beginning of the Assemblies of God. So what is this power of Pentecost? The first thing that happened on the day of Pentecost is that we were given the power to become. The power to become. You never graduate from needing the power to become. 
We never get to the point where we can do Christianity without Christ. We never get to the point where we can walk out the, the abundant life without the power of the Holy Spirit empowering every single step. We need him. We all want to be water walkers. We think about Peter and we're like, man, I wanna be like him. I wanna experience the supernatural. I wanna walk on water. But I want to remind you that Peter didn't get out of the boat to walk on water. Peter got out of the boat to walk with Jesus. And we don't get into Christianity to build cool stuff or to do great things. We don't leverage the gospel so that our name can be great. We don't leverage the gospel so that we can have a career path. No, we only get into Christianity because more than anything, and overwhelmingly, we just want to be with Jesus. And we know that Jesus is with the hurting, so we go to the hurting. And we know that Jesus cares about those who are lonely, so we go to those who are lonely. And every step of the way, it's not about what we get to do. It's not about what we get to experience. It's just about getting to be with Jesus. It's the power to become. Somehow Pentecost has gotten associated so deeply with the gifts of the Spirit that we forgot it's, we forget it's supposed to cultivate the fruits of the Spirit. I am deeply skeptical of people who want to operate in the gifts, but I don't see the fruit in their life. Show me some joy. Show me some patience. Show me some stinking self-control. And then I am happy to let you operate in those other gifts. There is something that is so vitally important for us to grab onto that the first thing that the Holy Spirit started to do after they started speaking in tongues was changing the way that they lived every single day of their life. It's the power to become, the power to be completely different, the power to begin to shake off all of that generational crap that has followed your family for hundreds of years. You can get rid of the racism in your family line. You can get rid of the poverty mentality in your family line. You can get rid of the addiction, the self-righteousness, the pride, every bit of it. You don't have to carry it into the next generation. The power of the Holy Spirit is here to turn your life around and to give you the power to become. The second thing that happened at the day of Pentecost is that they were given a language to connect. A language to connect. Now look, there was a breakout session on the Holy Spirit that was incredibly thorough and you should go listen to it. I'm gonna hone in on like one part, okay? Cool. All right. The language to connect. What the scripture says there is that they began to speak the native languages of these people. This was a supernatural, crazy thing. This is a sign and a wonder. And we know, and, and 
Philip and I talk about it all the time. Like speaking in tongues is one of the most important parts of our daily walk with God. I'm telling you, it it is vital to us. It is so important to us. Um, There's great books about it. So if you're like, ah, read some great books. They're awesome. But I'm just telling you, it's real, it's powerful, and it's important. But what he gave is really important too. He gave you a language to connect. What it says there is it's their native language. But um, I remember the first time that I read this in the Chinese Bible. And it said in the translation that I was first looking at, the language that they, only, that they spoke from the time that they were very young, like their, like their birth language. And I was like, oh, that's a little, that feels a little different. I like that. And then I read another translation, and this is why, my friend from Beijing, I interrupted your conversation you were having earlier and asked you to verify that I was correct. Sorry, sir. Anyway, I read another translation, and this is what it said, and it just kind of grabbed me, is it was the language of their hometown. And that hits different when you're, when you're reading it in a language like Chinese. And the reason is, is because a lot of my friends, because I did a lot of my career work in um, Xiamen, a lot of my friends, they speak Mandarin, but they also speak a little niche language that only the people in their town speak. It's the language of their hometown. It's the language that's close to their heart. It's their heart language. This is what I really believe, is that the Holy Spirit when you get into the power of Pentecost, it gives you a language to connect through culture, through time, through generations to the heart of those that are around you. Mom and dad, the Holy Spirit will give you the heart language of your children. Missionary, the Holy Spirit will give you the heart language of the country that you're serving. Campus missionary, the Holy Spirit will give you the heart language of the students that you serve. And sometimes it's, it's a literal thing. I mean, we, we've seen that. We, we, we have a private school where I'm from. My grandmother founded a, a Christian school. And one of the things she did is just invite um, exchange students from all over the world. So we've had exchange students from over 30 countries come to our tiny little rural Louisiana school. And um, for a little while, we had a mass amount of South Koreans come to our school. And one day um, they were in worship and one of the girls was singing and she began to speak in tongues, you know, right there while she was singing. And one of the Korean students walked up to her and said, I did not know that you spoke Korean. And he was so excited. He was like, man, you speak Korean. And she's like, I definitely do not. (laughs) And his heart was so touched. Because he had heard her worshiping in Korean right in front of him. And just like on the day of Pentecost, it was a testimony that God cared about him. There was a, a missionary friend of ours in Sweden. Well, he's Swedish, so anyway, he's a pastor in Sweden. And um, he, he had some people come into his, his, his church who were from another, another country, and nobody spoke their language. And they came up to the front, and 
the guy began to pray for him, and then one of them just started speaking in tongues, and the guy started crying and crying, and he ran back to his seat, and he grabbed his wife, and he brought her back, and she knew enough to be able to say, you called me by the name that my mother calls me by. The Holy Spirit can do those things. One time, Philip and I, well, Philip was in a, um, was in a jail and ministering to the prisoners, and he began to call out some different things, just, you know, just telling stories. You know how you do it. You just tell stories, and you just kind of grab, and you just tell stories. And, and, um, and, and it was kind of strange for him because Philip is like Anchorman. He only says what's on the page. If it's on the page, it's going to get said. If it's not on the page, it's not going to get said. But he goes off script, like, in this moment. And he starts calling out stuff. And he says this, like, crazy specific example. He says, you were abused when you were 10 years old and then your mom left you when you were 12 and you've, I mean, just like laid this guy's life out and afterwards, he's not even thinking he's prophesying, he's just preaching and afterwards, this guy comes to the front and he says, I only came here to get out of my cell, but you told me my whole life story and now I believe because I know God sees me and he cares for me. There's this language to connect. So many of you wonder whether you have the ability to connect to others, to be able to share this gospel. You doubt your speaking ability. You wonder about whether you're charismatic enough or whether you're interesting enough or even whether you know enough theology. Let me tell you, the Holy Spirit wants to talk to your roommate, wants to talk to your classmate, wants to talk to your neighbor, wants to talk to your stepmom so much more than you ever could. And if you will rely on him and rely on the power of Pentecost, he will begin to awaken in you the ability to have the language to connect to the hearts of the people that he puts in your path. The third thing that I see that happened on the day of Pentecost is that we were given the perspective to perceive. And I, I'm not gonna go long, so if the band would come up, I'm, I'm gonna wrap up in just a moment, but we were given a perspective to perceive. I think that Isaiah 40, 31 was written with Pentecost in mind. They that wait on the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings as eagles. They shall run and not grow weary. They shall walk and not faint. Now, if you're a writer, which I am, you will notice that this is a mixed metaphor. Eagles don't run. And mixed metaphors are very bad writing. You're welcome, freshman. You don't use mixed metaphors, but God is an amazing writer. And I think this is incredibly intentional because I think it's describing exactly what has to happen for us to be able to run the race that is set before us. This is what happened on the day of Pentecost is that suddenly they were given a bigger perspective. 
how can you soar on the wings like eagles and at the same time run and walk? You can only do it through the Spirit. You can only do it through the Spirit. And on the day of Pentecost, these men were taken from just fearing for their lives and trying to scramble to figure out what was next because their script was out the window. The guy was who was supposed to be king of their kingdom left. He ascended to heaven. And they're all staring there. God literally has to send an angel down to be like, please stop staring. You need to go now. Go wait over there, like he told you. When you can see the big picture, you don't grow weary. When you see the big picture, you don't faint because you realize that it's not just your story. It's not just about what you accomplish in your lifetime. It's about the generations that came before and the generations that came after and ultimately, it's just about his story. In Louisiana, there's a place called Oak Alley Plantation. It is a place of incredible pain. But it's also paradoxically a place of incredible beauty. You've probably seen pictures of it. There's this row of massive oak trees. I mean, they're massive that line both sides of this huge, huge boulevard. And they interlace at the top, creating this gorgeous canopy. And at the end, there's a big house. Anyone who saw the picture would think to themselves, those trees were planted for the house. But they would be wrong. Because see, see, there was this unnamed Frenchman who over a hundred years before the house would ever be built, planted a straight row, two straight rows of oak trees, wider apart than he would ever be able to enjoy their shade. It would be generations before anybody could see what the seeds he had planted would truly create. I stand on this stage today because my great-great-grandmother, my great-grandmother, my grandfather, my grandmother, my mom, my dad, planted seeds that were bigger than their lifetime. Seeds that were big enough for me to build on top of. Why would anybody do that? Why would anybody plant a tree 
that you're never even going to be able to sit in its shade. It's because they that wait upon the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings as eagles. Then they're going to run and not grow weary. And they're going to walk and not faint. And they're going to work for Jesus until the day they have their last breath here on earth. And then they're going to join the people who in Hebrews 12, it says died. Having not seen what had been promised to them. Receiving it from afar. There's another translation that says they were waving at it from afar. That they went into eternity waving at what they could see in the spirit, but they had never yet experienced. Do you know the only thing that you wave at is something you can see? Even in Louisiana, that's true. experience. They could only see it through the power of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit gives us the power to perceive, to see bigger. Senior, why should you invest in Chi Alpha? You're not going to get to enjoy and experience all the things that your investment is giving because you can see bigger than just what you can enjoy. And you can imagine in four years when those freshmen that I'm investing in, when they get to be my age, they're going to remember that senior who their last semester in the midst of all of the finals and all of the difficulty and all of the busyness planted seeds, planted trees, created shade that they would never sit in. And why'd they do that? Because the power of Pentecost gave that person a power to see something different. Will be we be the people who they talk about one day? Planted trees, planted seeds, prayed prayers, believed for things that they knew they'd never see. See, the power of Pentecost is the story transformation moment of the gospel. Because the power of Pentecost, yes, it gives you the power to become. In other words, it rewrites your character. It gives you the language to connect. In other words, it rewrites your script. It gives you the power to perceive. In other words, it rewrites the overarching narrative of your life and allows you to begin reintegrating meaning into every single situation because I'm no longer judging significance by where I'm planted. I'm judging significance by what I plant, where I am planted because I have no idea who's coming after me, who's gonna need the shade of those trees, Who's going to need what I have put into the earth? The story changed forever there. They went 
from worrying about? When are you gonna free us and establish our kingdom to realizing they were already free and building his kingdom? Here's the truth. The facts were the same. The morning of Pentecost and the morning after Pentecost, they were still a band of Jewish followers of a renegade rabbi who had been murdered by Rome and who no one else acknowledged had actually been risen from the dead. They were still impoverished. They still didn't have enough. They were still in a time that didn't have the technology that would allow them to fly all over the world or even replicate every single thing that they wanted to write down. All of the things were stacked against them. Oh, and did I mention that they were the oppressed in an oppressed country underneath the greatest empire in the world? The facts were still the same, but the story had changed, so everything was different. This is the truth. The facts will still be the same when you go back to wherever you come from. It'll be exactly the same as when you left. Still the same temptations, still the same hangups, still the same teacher that you don't like, still the same major that you're not sure about, still the same group leader that gets on your nerves, still the same step parent who's on your case, still the same legacy that you don't sure you want, still the same. But listen to me, the power of Pentecost means that everything can be different. And don't tell me I've experienced it. You need to experience it again and again and again and again and again. Because of identity disruption. Hear me, we're in a unique moment in history. For the very first time in all of human history, all of humanity in real time has experienced a massive moment of disruption called COVID. First time, in real time, all the countries of the world, we have experienced this massive disruption and we see what is happening because everybody is shook. Identities are disrupted all over the place. Everyone is fighting to redefine what meaning is for them. Do you see the opportunity that you live in? COVID has made it harder. COVID has cracked open a door that is wider than anything we've seen in a generation because everybody is looking for a story that's big enough for their life to fit into. we won't have the courage to give it to them unless we have the power that Pentecost gave to those people. Will you stand with me all over this place? You know, it's so funny because there's this narrative that like, oh, I was gonna do great things, but then, you know, 
God diverted me. Now I'm doing small things, but it's for him, so it matters. The disciples wanted a conquering king for the moment. And Jesus wanted them to change all of history. Think about that for a second. The disciples wanted a conquering king for the moment. That's what felt so big. But he wanted them to change all of history. What if the thing What if the thing you think is derailing your story is actually greatest adventure you could have ever imagined. What if the next generation is counting